The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, Pelicans fans, welcome back to another edition of The Bird Calls. I'm David Grubb, and with me is Mike DeLeo and Ali Cosell. And tonight is a special edition focusing on the release of the Pelicans 2019-2020 schedule. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Doing good, doing good, David. I am I'm yep. excited, kind of like a holiday. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing great as well. I just wanted Mike to answer first. You should have directed, you know, the Sorry. question of us. Sorry, I keep forgetting that we don't see each other, so sometimes it's it's easier to pass it off through eye contact. Right. And we don't have that right now, so I'm sorry, gentlemen. But, okay, so the schedule comes out. Immediate reactions. Um, the instant analysis of it is that the Pelicans have one of the toughest schedules in the league. Um, but the high points. Let's start with the high points. 30 national television appearances, 10 on NBA TV. You also have the Christmas Day game, Christmas night, excuse me, 9.30 Central Time against the Nuggets. You've got two games on ABC. First time the Pelicans have been on ABC in um, 11 years. Um, So they've got that. They've got overall, they're playing in a number of marquee games um, throughout the season. They finish overall on TV appearances they're the 11th most TV appearances. Um, I mean, excuse me, the uh, ninth most TV appearances of any team in the league this year. What does that mean for this franchise coming off a year where people were acting as if New Orleans didn't have a basketball team? Mike, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, I think for the most part, it's all positive. My first takeaway, though, was that my per game league pass subscription is definitely taking a hit here. I'm definitely paying more for the fewer games because I won't be able to watch them on league pass. Now I'll have to actually tune into the broadcast, which is kind of a bummer for me personally, but in the grand scheme of things, I think it's just a sign of great things for the franchise. I'm sure everybody within the organization is pleased to see news like this because more eyeballs means more merchandise means more notoriety means more eyeballs and that's ultimately what so much of the new NBA market is about and it's exciting that we're going to get it on the very first night of the season. Ollie, four of the first five games are on, are on national television <clears throat> including an NBA TV game at home against the Golden State Warriors. They're letting the Pelicans come out of the gate strong and into a national audience. Yeah, they are. My first thought, though, David, was we're not going to get to hear Joe Meyer's voice too often, huh? But <laughs> oh. I mean, as we know, everybody in New Orleans loves his voice. But no, to be honest, yeah, you're right. I think they're doing this a smart way. You want to, of course, get Zion out there to the masses because obviously people are following him everywhere. I mean, you just look at his number of Instagram followers. You look at every move he's made even before the Pelicans landed him and everything was always big news. You saw the shoe deal, record shoe deal. So everything since the Pelicans drafted him has kind of fallen like dominoes. So it just makes sense, and you want to put him out there, of course, when the Pelicans are still kind of relevant, when people are going to be more interested in following, you know, what could possibly be a non-playoff team. So it makes all the sense in the world. But, you know, this also gives hope, David, that there's a chance that they may get more than this franchise setting 30 uh, national uh, games 
and the fact that say they are in the playoff hunt, I've heard that they could probably pick up two, three, four, maybe even five games during the final, what, month and a half, two months. And boy, would that be something? I mean, but the Pelicans PR had a great tweet. And I think this really sums it up on how big of a deal this really is. New Orleans will be featuring or featured during the regular season on ABC for the first time really in 10 years since April 12, 2009. Not once during the Anthony Davis era were they on ABC. And that's been one of the best players in the league for some time now. So this says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I do want to say quickly, guys, mm-hmm. we said we said 30 games a couple of times. The number is 20. No, it's 30, including the NBA TV. TV games. Oh, NBA TV. I'm including. sorry. I'm yes. sorry. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yes. ABC, Woo! ESPN, TNT. Yeah, you're right. It would have been 20. OK, right. Sorry yes. about that. Yeah. But so obviously the big driver in this has to be Zion Williamson. Um, last season, the NBA was down 4 um, percent in local markets, 5 percent overall nationally particularly because los angeles and new york had big drops in their ratings um for their teams uh obviously they're counting on the zion bump i mean you look at what he did last season his summer league debut we've already seen that 33 percent higher than espn's highest ever summer summer league game mark cbs gets the highest ratings of the first week in the ncaa tournament since 2001 when he plays at duke the duke um Syracuse quarterfinal of the ACC tournament was a 42% increase from the same game the year before. So how much of an impact can Zion Williamson have on the NBA's television uh, ratings? How, how big a factor can he be nationally and internationally in year one, Ollie? I think the, world, the sky's the limit, right? I mean, if he comes out and has any kind of impact on either Pelicans winning or he's putting up numbers, he's got to do either one. And then it's going to be like a train, right? Everybody's already on it. So do they stay on it? And it does all of a sudden snowball into, you know, kind of, I don't know if David, you remember, but I remember following LeBron's rookie year. And it was mm-hmm. such a big deal that the Cavaliers were uh, one of, what was it? The opening game, right? Uh, or yes, was it opening Sacramento. Sacramento Kings, right? I remember yep. watching that through and through and he got off to a little bit of a slow start in that first quarter, but then boy, we saw that talent. So I think that, and, and of course, everything else took off after that, where he, you know, made his impact in the league right away from day one. If Zion can follow in that footsteps, boy, I'm telling you, the Pelicans will be one of the, what would you guys say, maybe top eight most watched teams, regardless of whether they're a playoff caliber team? Well, I, yeah, I Mike, think it's, it's, it's right up there because my, my reality check was being live at the draft in the Barclays Center, I did my typical browsing through all the merchandise that they had and they were selling the hats they were selling the draft day shirts and i got there i looked at all the stuff and i said you know what the pelican stuff it's going to be there at the end of the draft i can just come back later and it's going to be there and i go at halftime and all of the pelican stuff is already gone the duke continued came out to play there is so much just duke love that just permeates the basketball world that i think so many of them are going to hop onto the new orleans train and I think just all the general basketball fans that love that that Zion highlight package that they've probably been following on social media since his what sophomore year in high school, I think him alone is going to drive so much traffic. But then you get these believers of in Lonzo Ball and then Brandon Ingram and in some of the former Lakers. I think that's mm-hmm. going to drive a lot of new traffic too. And I think there's it's pretty much the perfect storm right now. Yeah, Mike, that's a per- I'm so glad you brought that up because that was going to be one of my questions to both of you guys is how much can we attribute this just to Zion or is honestly the NBA thinking, hey, there's a lot more stories here. That's why we're going to put them even more than what most people probably thought. And that is 30 times on national TV. So, David, let me ask you this. How much do you think maybe some of these other players played a factor, whether it's the other Pelicans rookies that sh- shine brightly at Las Vegas or, as Mike just mentioned, Lonzo, or maybe Brandon Ingram? Well, I mean, with the Pelicans, you have all the things that you want for good television, right? You've got an entertaining style of play. So you know that this team is going to run. They're going to be up and down the court. You're expecting dunks. You're expecting blocked shots. You're expecting, you know, plays in transition, highlight reel passing. So that's part one of that. But then, like you said, then there are multiple plot lines. You have the franchise scorned remaking itself you have david griffin pushing himself to the front of the nba conversation you have gail benson becoming one of the more prominent owners in the league 
and making her presence felt in this season. You have Alvin Gentry looking for a rebirth and, and his way to prove that it wasn't just on him that the team underachieved the last few years. He's trying to prove that his way, if you give him the roster that he wants, it's going to work. And then you have the players, Drew Holiday. Can he be a franchise player? Zion Williamson, is he going to be a historic player? Lonzo Ball, is he going to live up to his potential? Will his father be a distraction? Brandon Ingram, what are you? Derek Favors stepping out of the shadows. You have plot line after plot line after plot line with this team. And what you get from that is casual fans, which has never been something you would have associated with the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, all the reunions of the former players is pretty funny. I know we all have the December 13th game at Philly, the J.J. Redick revenge game. <laughs> that's all that circle on everybody's schedule. I, I, I mean, circle check Diallo's game personally whenever we face the Suns. <laughs> see, I said whenever, so I don't even have the date. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that we're coming out for that one. And what's cool <laughs> is, though, check people will be really cool to check. And he comes – I know he plays you – know, he's part of that homestand in April. When he cut, he'll be there then, and that game could mean something. And who knows what role Czech will be playing? I, his, I think his first trip back is in December, December fifth. Yeah, so um, it's a part of a, another three-game homestand. So he, they're the end of that one. So that'd be so Czech will be around, and, and you know, I, the thing with the Pelicans, the only one that will be gre- greeted with animosity is Anthony Davis. But there's also this kind of feeling of if he doesn't do it, we don't get this. So I'm kind of over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you that's going to that's gonna be an interesting night because there was a pathway where if things didn't go as they did, the Pelicans didn't get the number one pick, that they were going to probably be at the bottom of the conference and mm-hmm. the whole night would be about receiving Anthony Davis in a kind of antagonistic way, everybody being a little bit just booing a little bit more than they usually would. But now in this situation where the Pelicans are going to try to be competitive – I think it's going to fuse a little bit with let's go out and win this game. We can actually win this game Mm -hmm. and it might matter down the stretch. And that's going to be fun. I remember I was in attendance for the game where Chris Paul made his first return to new Orleans after being traded and boy, people got up for that game. And I said about eight, 10 rows right behind the Clippers bench. And after the first quarter, I remember Chris Paul watching a little tribute uh, video for him. Uh, And that was a heck of a game. Um, What do you guys think? Anthony Davis get a tribute video uh, by the Pelican faithful, especially now that things have worked out so peachy. I think, I think Griffin will do it. I think because the scrutiny is on Griffin now after what happened with the LeBron and, and the way that that was misinterpreted by people at large. So I think he will do the thing. He'll take the one extra step just to show that it's not petty. He doesn't have time for petty. And I think that that's important for him to translate that image around the league and just say, hey, it doesn't have to be long, but it can be thank you, Anthony, blah, 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 show the playoff run, you know, show him when he was a rookie, show him the playoff run, and then move on. And then later on in his career, when it's fading, you do the real welcome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's totally right. There's, it's a low-cost move. There's no reason really not to do it. There's certainly enough highlights that he'll pack in there. I mean, I still, every couple of months, I'll go into YouTube and watch that buzzer beater against the uh, OKC back in 2015. So AD's still got a a special place in a lot of Pelicans fans' hearts. And I think that uh, even though it's been a rough year, uh, ultimately a few years from now, people are going to, I mean, it was a long time. He was here for a long time. It was a lot of basketball. And and most of it was, well, I wouldn't say most of it, but there were some fun moments in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a highlight reel. So yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Go ahead, David. No, it's just, you know, I, I think that it's it's interesting that year in and year out, though, the NBA um, just seems to to really give the Pelicans difficult starts. I mean, mm-hmm. either it's been the Warriors um, and you get the defending champs again this year. Yes, they're without Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard, but that's that's not a team that's going to quit on you um, and, and just roll over on that night. They've got something to prove, quite frankly, that they can compete without uh, Kawhi. So, I mean, the league just doesn't do the Pelicans favors with the start of its season. Yes, they get to be at home for three out of those first five, but the two you're on the road with are the defending champs and the Rockets. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very difficult start. And the only thing you're hoping is that the fact that a lot of these teams are in flux, like you look at most of these teams have had major overhauls to their rosters. 
that the Pelicans can sneak, um, you know, steal a few on the road early on because you're going to need those on the back end. Yeah, I think that's what we need to get into. Let's talk about the specifics of schedule. And since you started with talking about what the first 10, 20 games, um, let's talk about, I guess, first of all, how much importance do you place in the first 20 games? Is it going to sink or swim the Pelican season? And whatever else you got to add, like Mike, for instance, go ahead and kick off. Now I have some thoughts as well. Yeah, I, I think me and David were kind of going back and forth in this earlier in our in our group chat that it's it's a tough early going in the schedule. And even though there's so many moving pieces and you want to give this team time to kind of get their feet on the ground with the new players and the rookies, it's tough enough where a really poor start, like in that 515 area, it's not totally out of the question. I mean, they are playing a lot of if not guaranteed playoff teams, then definite contenders. And if they can break into that 2020 schedule around 500, at least, I think that would be a pretty solid victory for them. Yeah, I personally don't see how they're going to be over 500 at all after 20 games. Because as David just kind of listed through some yeah. of the teams, I mean, I it just looks impossible. I mean, there's I know that, for instance, Golden State Warriors, we face them, what, twice in the first three weeks? And I know they're going to be without Clay, but look, they still got Steph. He's he's all NBA top five player. Draymond Green, if he's anybody uh, that we saw that was similar to the guy we saw the last two months of last season, where he was really into it, leading that team defensively. And then of course, you know they've added a few pieces, and we 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 can't just dismiss D'Angelo Russell. So it's teams like that. The Rockets, we got Portland, Denver. So. I would be happy if they were just about, say, three or four games the under 500. twice. I mean, I know, I've heard some people twice. say we Oklahoma could be as much six. as 10 games under 500. But do you guys think that would be terrible in terms of where we would actually be, you know, fans would be walking away from the table if they get off to, say, a 5-15 and 15 start? Personally, yeah. I don't think it'll happen. I think they're going to be better than a lot of people think. So, I, like I said, I'm, I'm thinking about three or four games under 500. So, give or take eight and 12, something like that after 20. What do you guys think? David, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the worst case scenario, yeah, is if you're a five and 15 team, because then that's when people will go, well, why didn't you fire Gentry in the off season? Look, it's not going to work. Or why did this guy, or why is he? And like, there's so many factors because we know again, who's coming off of injury and who's developing this and, and all these things. So you, you and I, and Mike, you know, all the three, the three of us, we, we're going to be more forgiving maybe with our eyes, depending on what we see. Whereas those folks who have arrived as Pelicans fans and have just come on to this thing, or if there's a slow start, they, they will become disinterested very quickly. And that's what you don't want to see, because I think people are invested in this season, but you know how quickly it, it evaporates if they feel like there's not something worth hanging on to, if they're not being entertained. I mean, you might be able to survive it if this team is really entertaining, if they're scoring 120 and it looks good. But if they're not entertaining, if they're turning the ball over, they can't shoot, and Zion isn't what he's built, his up playing up to the billing, then yeah, then, then it's going to be a really disastrous first couple months. Yeah, and, and because the team is so young, I think that looking at the schedule, especially early on, can even be a little bit more challenging because they could very well just – totally be horrible in a game against the Mavericks or against mm-hmm. Charlotte. Like they could just totally not have it together. And that's something that is to be expected. But again, it's whether or not the fans are going to have their expectations in order. I, I think you can kind of counterbalance it. If you really want to get optimistic, like that first matchup against the Clippers, it's the second night of a back-to-back for LA. And with Paul George coming off of his injury, if he's even active at that point, there's a strong chance that maybe he's not going to be playing and maybe even Kawhi, who knows Kawhi famously didn't play second games of back-to-back last season. So (laughs) there might be spots where they can kind of pick and choose and maybe get a little bit more of an advantage than they thought, but it is going to be a a balancing act in terms of kind trying to manage that PR. But if we learned anything from last year, it's that the Pelican social media team is going to keep people engaged. So hopefully that's a little advantage that they have for themselves. You know, I think one thing is you you take a look at the youth of this team and then you look at those first five opponents. Those are five completely different styles of play. You know, you look at Toronto and you're talking about more motion-based, very intense defensively, um, some athleticism in the front court. And then you go to Dallas, which is a long team. 
not particularly athletic, not super athletic, but long at every position. You know, and, and then you go to Houston and you're going to be playing James Harden and Russell Westbrook, so very ball-dominant guards. Golden State, more movement, more um, shooting. And then Denver, high post working through Jokic. It's just that's a lot for a young team to keep seeing something different every night and have to mentally readjust. So, I mean, I think it could be a work. You know, it should be a work in progress at the early part of the season for these guys to come together. But, you know, folks shouldn't get discouraged if it does take a minute to click. I'm going to take a little more contrarian view. And like I said, I I understand all these problems and it it can all crop up. But I just think the vets, I mean, we saw what Drew Hall they did alone with a lot of these guys after Anthony Davis was pretty much just playing 20 minutes every other game to where we saw him lead the team to what, about an 8-8 and record. Um, And they included wins over OKC, Houston. They had a couple other good wins as well. Now we're adding favors. Now there's Reddick. Now, you know, I mean, I know Lonzo and Ingram are still young, but I think they kind of got a real good glimpse as to what it takes to win in the NBA by being in that L.A. limelight. You know, so I just think that, I don't know, I don't foresee them having so much of this issues with uh, even maybe even like strategies. Because let's face it, this team, as currently composed, we all expect them to be a very good defensive team, right? David, we were talking about this earlier uh, on your radio show. And now if, say, Lonzo gets into that groove and suddenly they have an offense to boot, I think we're going to pose that matchup um, issues for these all these other teams. It's all going to come down to, for me, it's, it's just going to be the outside shot. I know that they kind of tried and dismissed it, Griffin, where he's talking about, you know, we're going to play to our strengths, all this and that. But I think ultimately that's going to be what's going to decide these games, not so much as the caliber, caliber of the opponent. Do you guys disagree, agree with that line no, of thinking I at mean, all? I mean, I can, I can hear you on that because I do think the easiest thing to teach, um, the easier, let me not say easiest, the easier thing to teach is, to, is defense. And if your guys are committed to playing defense, you can score points. You'll figure out a way because you will create opportunities to score points. So, yes, if, if the Pelicans are in sync defensively, then that travels. It goes everywhere. And you do that every night and you're prepared and you have one of the – best rim protectors in the league and you have two of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And if, if Zion and, Br- and Brandon Ingram can be good level defenders, then yeah, yeah, they're going to score a lot of points and it's going to come down. But I don't think that shooting is as big an issue because I do think Hart will make shots and I do think Reddick will make shots. And I think Drew will make enough shots. And I think you have each one to make shots. You have Darius to make shots. And I think that Lonzo, even if he hits 35% of his threes, if he, as long as he's not taking six, seven of them, of them a game, then I think he can, you know, still be, be a threat from outside. And that's enough if the Pelicans are playing solid D and rebounding. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think, like, I was kind of setting up the stage before, and I think David was kind of in a similar position as, if this happens, don't overreact so much. Right. But I do think that they're going to be a little bit better than – Perhaps even we think right now, I think because of what we're saying now, they easily could upset one of these teams early on in the season because everybody's in the same boat. A lot of these teams are adjusting to new surroundings, whether you look at Toronto, Los Angeles, Golden State. Nobody is used to the circumstances that the rosters are currently dealing with. So there is absolutely reason to believe that maybe they do overperform in that first half, which could make things even better in 2020. Because like like you both, and perhaps even more so, I think Lonzo is due kind of, if he's ever going to start his ascent into that top tier of NBA mm-hmm. talent, it's got to start this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's got to be, he's got to be in the range of 12, 8, 6. You know what I mean? Every night you've got to be able to say 12, 8, 6, couple steals a block shot he's got to be that kind of performer for you this year and he's got to shoot a percentage where like i said he's got to be around 35 36 percent from three and they have to be from just catch and shoot and most most likely he's not going to be shooting off the dribble they got to be catch and shoot um three so yeah i think he can do it i, I certainly do think he's capable of doing it. hey look who just joined us we got david fisher joining us i'm glad you made it buddy all we've talked about so far are like our first impressions of the schedule, and we just got done really talking about the first 20 games or so. So let's hear your opinion, David, if you want to give it or if you want to just move on, let me know. But I always like your takes because you're always the guy that wrote about the schedule when it came out on the bird rides. 
Well, um, digging through, especially when we're talking about the first 20 games, one of the things that jump out at me is the fact that they don't have a lot of tough road games. Um, that's not to say that their road games aren't difficult, like the Houston back-to-back on Saturday on the first, like the third game of the season. That, I mean, you kind of pencil that in as a loss. It's a back-to-back. It's at Houston. You can say, hey, Houston has some pieces that you're trying to integrate there, but Houston should relatively be good but that the same thing when we talked about the schedule last year going in we thought that that opening night at houston and they blew the doors Mm -hmm. off the rockets twice Mm -hmm. so there's there's a lot of kind of our expectations of how team seasons are going to go doesn't necessarily mean that that's how good that team is going to be in the first 10 games so a team that looks like it might be a scrub you know the first 10 games when they're just getting this the the system installed and things like that and everybody's bought in and the veterans aren't upset about minutes or how many minutes the rookies are getting over them or all of that stuff that happens throughout the season you might have teams that are bad that are still good at the beginning and you could you could lean on maybe oklahoma city as another option there where a team that looks like it's going to be bad but still has quite a few professionals so they should be good but the thing that I was looking at diving into, especially those first 20 games. They don't have a lot of long road trips. Their first long road trip um, isn't until the middle of November. Um, so almost, uh, you know, a month into the season. So they've kind of had the opportunity to get their feet wet. That's looking good. The one thing that did jump out at me, because I was looking at the back-to-backs and things like that, is both times the Pelicans play at the Clippers – it's on the second night of a back-to-back, and they just played in Utah the night before. Yeah, Mike touched on that, yeah. Um, that's just – that's a brutal back-to-back when you're talking about – I mean, those are two of the five best teams in the league, and you're going to get them back-to-back. But I also looked at it – in the first three weeks, we played Toronto twice. And I don't know about you guys, but I expect them to severely drop off in terms of their competitive nature. I mean, when you just look at – you know, Kyle Lowry's still there, of course, Marc Gasol. And we know um, we, we know what uh, – Siakam. Yeah, Pascal Siakam, what he's going to bring. But, look, they've got to replace Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard. And right now, I don't, I don't know if you guys have looked, but their depth chart, Norman Powell and OG Anunby. So they're going to take some time, I feel like, to get acclimated. I feel like that's two another two potential wins. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a lot easier to replace Danny Green. I mean, not that Danny Green isn't a good basketball player, but he's not the Danny Green that that people think that he was. Um, but but yeah, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, it, it's going to take Siakam to make almost a Giannis level leap. And I'm not saying from last year, you know, the last two years, but where Giannis was at like 19-20, and then he jumped, and you're like, oh wow, he he really can play basketball. Like that's where Siakam needs to go next. And yeah. and I don't know if he'll be ready to do that at the beginning of this season. To be fair to Toronto, Kawhi missed a lot of games in the regular season last year, yeah, and they were still true, and they did win. They, they won the majority of those games. They did so, but still, you know, I think it is a letdown. But I mean, and teams do perform poorly on the the night that they get their rings. We've seen it a lot mm-hmm. in the last few years that teams, you know, champions on on ring night just don't play well. So maybe you steal that. Like I said, they're stealable games. You go to Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving's now trying to figure out how to get guys shots in a system where they used they were used to playing with um you know D'Angelo Russell where does uh Spencer Dinwiddie fit in now you know so maybe you steal it at Brooklyn you go to Charlotte they don't really have scoring now <laughs> at any position so you take yeah. advantage of them and you steal it I mean there are just so many places where you start going yeah there there are opportunities to get one here and get one there uh, and and I mean I think it takes you know what probably between 43 to 45 wins to, to be an eight. So you look at the East and you say the Pelicans have to win somewhere between 18, like at least 18 of their games, 18 of the 30 they'll play against the, the East. Mm-hmm. And real then, quick though, so, let's touch on this real quick and then I'll move to the middle portion that kind of caught fishes in my uh, eyes earlier today on, on social media, but I said they're going to be 8-12 and 12 after 20 games. Let's hear your guys' predictions real quick before we move on. What kind of start they get off to? Go ahead, Fish, you start us off. I'm digging through it right now. Um, I, I think 9-11 and 11 is actually possible there. 
um, anywhere right around 500 because their their schedule's so difficult in the beginning. But one thing, and I'm sure you guys may have already covered it, the fact that they're going to get Golden State twice early, and Golden State has a lot of losses and a lot of new bodies to kind of integrate into their system, and both of those games are in New Orleans, is a positive for the Pelicans. And the fact that they actually get the Clippers twice early, and you don't know if they're actually going to have PG, you don't know if they're going to have Paul George yet um, recovering from his shoulder surgery. Now, the, the Clippers obviously still have quite a bit of depth, but they won't have that foundational piece. So that that's a possibility where you might be able to snag a game that you weren't expecting. So um, a little a little more optimistic than you say um, say nine and eleven through twenty. I have nothing Mike. to lose. I'll go ten and ten. Fifty. I'm I'm looking forward to the five hundred ball. I'll see a couple of see a couple of upsets at home early. Get the Smoothie King uh, Center's crowd uh, some bonus points there. Hopefully I'll inspire them to go go show up because hopefully the attendance is there. I mean, you can definitely hear it on TV as I watch all of the games when there's a lot of people there. So I hope that uh, that, that makes a difference. See, what I'm torn on is, is just historically they've not been a good road team. And that that's the part that just – and you look at the venues that they have to go on the road, most of them are difficult places to play when you go to them. Um, you know, Utah is never an easy place to win a basketball game. Oklahoma City is a very difficult place to win a basketball game. You go there twice. Uh, Houston, of course, difficult. Um, Miami is difficult. Uh, I think, you know, your easy one is Phoenix and your easy one is Charlotte. But outside of that, everything's going to be hot tickets. So I just, you know, I just wonder about the road. So I'm more likely to say 8 and 12. Um with nine and 11 coming in, um, not a close set game. Okay. Well, I want to jump to this middle portion and we'll get everybody's takes, but I'm curious, do you guys, first of all, foresee the start being the hardest or let's say I'm trying to find real quick where they start on December 11th, they're at Milwaukee and then they play really zero as fish called a zero easy games against non-playoff contenders all the way through January 6th. So for me, that's going to be the toughest stretch. There's, I think, if I remember right, eight away games versus like four or five home games. Uh, So that's going to be, I feel like, the stretch that determines their season. Um, But looking at the schedule, do you guys feel like, what's your hardest stretch for the Pelicans? Is it this middle stretch? Is it the start? And what do you think of this middle stretch? Is that going to be the deciding um, kind of portion of the schedule for the Pelican season? Well, yeah, I mean, it's 11 out of 17 on the road. That's, that's just crazy. Um, and like you said, the, it's, a, it's a very difficult stretch up until that Jan- mid-January when they get New York and Detroit on bookends, but you got Boston in the middle. So the rest of those road games during that stretch at Milwaukee, at Philadelphia, at Minnesota, at Golden State, at Portland, at Denver, at the Lakers, at Sacramento – not one of those is an easy game. And then at home, you're, you're facing playoff teams in Brooklyn, Indiana, and Houston. And then you got Utah um, as well. So, I mean, that's, that's a ridiculously difficult part of the schedule from December to January. Yeah, I, I think I lean – I still lean that that kind of end of October and then the early November, kind of right in the beginning of the season, is a little bit more difficult, if only because I think it kind of helps – the cause that there are some of those worst teams peppered in there. I mean, obviously Sacramento's still on the road, but I think they're, they might be the worst team in the Western conference this year. They got Chicago at the end of that run. They got Indiana in the mix at the end of December and they still might not be fully healthy. I don't know when Oladipo is scheduled to come back. So I, I think there are enough bumps in the road, or I guess it would be a, a dip in the road in terms of difficulty of some of these games, which I think, could prevent a real bad slide. So I think when you look at November, you got that one stretch, Golden State or Houston, Golden State, Denver, OKC, Brooklyn, Toronto, then you get Charlotte, and then Houston Clippers again. That stretch is probably the still up there for me. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for 2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take drill sergeant, please. You got it. 
All right, now, listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Fish, do you have anything to add to, to that middle part that we didn't cover already? Well, the thing about the middle part that to me makes it the most difficult is the fact that where they placed your back-to-backs. So, I mean, you rattled off the teams, but the easy teams you would look at on that list, Minnesota, you know, didn't make the playoffs that last year. They might be an easy game. Oh, but it's a back-to-back game. And you have to travel from New Orleans to Minnesota in December after, you know, you're going to play Brooklyn at home, hop on the plane, fly to Minnesota, get in Minnesota at like midnight, and then play Minnesota, you know, the the following night. And it's going to be freezing cold. And um, you expect Brooklyn to be a difficult game. And and Brooklyn, I mean, by then you're talking about you're playing Brooklyn in the middle of December. Kenny Atkinson's a great coach. They've probably kind of figured it out. They might be on their their run at that point, and it's on the road. And so one of your easy games is Minnesota, but it's the second game of a back-to-back, so it doesn't feel quite so good. And then you're in you um, end the year pretty much with that Indiana-Houston, which is one of the few home-home back-to-backs they have. Um, but Indiana's always going to be coached up from from what we saw last year. I mean, they finished strong even without Oladipo, and Oladipo might be on the brink of return at that point. Mm-hmm. And Houston at that point has had quite a bit of time to integrate um, Russell Westbrook into their offense with James Harden, so they should be a tough out. And then another game that you would hope, oh, that should be a relatively easy game, would be, you know, at Sacramento, but again, just like the Minnesota game, the two teams that they play in this stretch that were not playoff teams last year are both on the road on the second night of a back-to-back. So again, I mean, they're going to play a late game against the Lakers on a Friday night, then hop on a plane, fly to Sacramento, get a little bit of shut-eye, get back up and be ready to play Sacramento. Um, I haven't looked at Sacramento's schedule to be able to tell you if Sacramento is going to be rested. I guess I would guess off the top of my head that they would just because of the number of back-to-backs that they've cut down. So both of the easy games against non-playoff teams from last year are on the second night of the back-to-back on the road, both of which are things, especially when you talk about what the Pelicans want to do systemically and how Alvin Gentry wants to lead the the league in pace, et cetera. One of the things we need to discuss about the impact of that is I expect that the Pelicans to be a much better team when they've had a night of rest before than on the 12 nights that they're going to have just come off a game the previous day. Um, And we, and we need, we just need to bake that into it, even with the depth and everything else. If there's ever going to be a time where the Pelicans are going to take a step back, it's going to be on those back-to-backs and they were terrible on back-to-backs last year. They were three and 10 on back-to-backs. So, I mean, you, you would expect that it's not going to be a good time. And those are the games where it kind of feels like, oh, you can't give up those games to a Minnesota or to a Sacramento who might be in the same kind of tier as the Pelicans challenging for the playoffs. And they have 12 back-to-back games this yeah, season. Yeah, nine of them this second season. night on the way. They're all away. So, yeah. <sighs> David, yeah. go ahead, buddy. Oh, um, you know, my point was just uh, I also wanted to bring up the fact that we have to worry about the rookie wall. You know, Zion Williams has never played more than 32, 33 basketball games in a year. And so he's, you know, there's going to be a wall at some point where he does get fatigued. So we're going to, we're, we're really going to see how Alvin Gentry manages his depth, um, manages that bench, and, and how does he keep guys fresh uh, over the course of the season. So that's going to be interesting to watch when you look at the schedule as well. I'll be honest, I think what's more interesting to me is, are they going to handle Lonzo or Brandon Ingram with any kind of kick gloves, right? Because they've both been – well, Lonzo's had kind of injuries ever since he's entered the league, and what Ingram's coming back from is pretty daggone serious, right? Blood clots. So you guys expect any kind of restrictions maybe with these guys? And if so, how much would it hurt 
the Pelicans. I mean, I know that they used discuss Zion anytime rookie wall, but what about these other guys that are going to be in the lineup next to Drew and um, uh, Derek Favors? I mean, I don't, I don't foresee anything overly abundant if the players or if everybody involved says that they're okay. I don't think they're in a position where they can be like the Raptors and give Kawhi some some scheduled rest time on these second game of back-to-backs. And I think, if anything, the players are going to be the driving force behind that because, as we've said throughout the entire offseason, especially those former Lakers, they have a lot to prove. They want to show that with a fresh start, they are capable of living up to their high draft stock. So I think that with Drew Holiday kind of leading the way in that locker room, setting the example the way that he has, especially throughout the end of last year, that this is going to be a competitive bunch. And I think they, there would be definitely some pushback if the management were to suggest, hey, you want to take a couple of nights here? And even if that's the best thing for them to do, I, I don't see them kind of following through on that. I'm, I mean, I agree. All I right. Think- that's what I like to hear. <laughs> but, but I do want to say, I do want to say I saw earlier also that I don't know how exactly they're spread out, but in terms of rest advantage where the Pelicans, if I recall correctly, have kind of been on the low end in terms of just having some bad luck as the schedule shook out the last couple of years, they're tied for fourth this year in games where they're going to have a rest advantage with 24. They're tied with the Nuggets in that respect. So if if that's something to go off of, I mean, that's that's probably a positive. I mean, who knows how much, but it's definitely better to be higher on that list than, than lower on it. All right, well, yeah, well, I guess we've beaten up this middle part, but the way they finish the schedule, I guess that's what everybody's putting uh, all their hope into, right? If the Pelicans can just skirt through like they seemingly have in their last two playoff appearances where they play roughly 500 ball for the first four months or so. Uh, then they go on tears to finish a stretch of both those seasons. So people are hoping for the same thing because if you look at the schedule, you know, starting pretty much after a meeting with the Lakers in March, right, to kick off, kick off the, that month, they have a really easy schedule to where they only face, I think, a couple of playoff opponents from this past season. So do you guys think that that could possibly, the Pelicans could use as a springboard to somehow get into the playoffs again? We'll start with Fish. It's possible. My concern is is that um, they're on the fringes of the playoff hunt, and then you get into that schedule that looks like it's easier. And there's a there's a tendency every season to think that oh, what we did at the end of last season is actually the team we are. When you play a whole bunch of teams who aren't trying to win games and the Pelican schedule looks like it shakes out that March and April feature a lot of teams that aren't going to be trying to win games at that point. So my, my concern is less it becomes a springboard to the playoffs and more, even if the Pelicans fall short, it's going to tell the front office a story that isn't true because it's built on beating teams that weren't actually good. That that that's how I'm looking at it. Is hey, we beat up on a whole bunch of teams that were tanking, and we ended up winning 39 games. But if you look at the last 20 some games of the season, or whatever, 32 games of the season, we were 18 and 11. Look at how great we are. That's exactly what the Pelicans did in 2014-15. They bought into themselves, reinvested into the guys they had, and then it all fell apart. So that's that's kind of my concern looking at that schedule is it's going to give us um, an inaccurate picture of who the Pelicans are because the opponents they're going to play are not going to be fully competitive at that point. But but to some extent, I mean, it it's built in for every team is going to have some of those games at the end of the schedule and even throughout because, I mean, I look at especially April – and I don't care if Washington or Charlotte are trying or not. It's going to be tough for them to win basketball games because they're just not not a very well-constructed team. So I think – I know exactly what you're saying, and you're absolutely right, but I think there is some leeway, especially towards the end of the season after having had to bear such a heavy load in terms of strength of schedule early on that they do deserve a little bit of slack. If they do overperform at the end, maybe that's a little bit of – 
a fair balancing act, but but maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I'm kind of being a little bit too optimistic with that. I don't think. Go ahead. I, I just don't think Griff will be fooled. I mean, I think he's going to look at the entire body of work for this team because he is trying to make some long-term evaluations. So I don't think he wants to be the kind of person who sees a hot month and makes a decision based on that. He's going to look at what players do against their toughest opponents. He's going to check and see how they performed on, on back-to-back. So um, I, I don't think the late schedule is can, can be a negative. If you're in the playoff contention, you play who you play. And like again, like we said, what the schedule is today doesn't mean that's what those teams will be at the end of the season. They could be better than we think they are, and teams that we think are going to be good will probably be worse than we think that they should be. You know, it happens every year. So the schedule is what it is. You have to play the teams that are on it. It appears slightly easier, but, you know, we'll see come April. All right, before we move on to some more general questions, I wanted to get your guys' take on what are your, like, I guess two or three most favorite games you're looking forward to uh, this upcoming season. We'll start. Um, I guess, Mike, I'll start with you since I know you definitely looked at the schedule. Yeah. I mean, I, I like many other people am looking forward to that Anthony Davis return game, but I'm sure we're going to talk about that for a couple of us. So I will leave that one off. I, I do look forward to watching them play actually, kind of right off the bat against the Mavericks, their second game of the season. They're going to be at home, and I'm actually writing something that's going to go up on the bird rights soon about the Southwest Division. And part of that is going to be, I think, the New Orleans-Dallas rivalry could kind of become one of the more entertaining ones in this 2020s decade of NBA basketball between Luka and Zion going head-to-head as the kind of two stars and who both, by all means, appear to be ascendant talents. They have decent supporting casts that are probably on the up and up. I mean, Dallas has a little bit more question marks just with Porzingis' health, but I think seeing that game is going to start a, what, I mean, we're going to see a lot of them play each other. They're going to play four games every season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see how that rivalry kind of develops. And I really do want to see how the Pelicans match up against the Denver Nuggets because the Nuggets were a lot of fun to watch last year. And I think there are going to be some really fun matchups on both sides. It's going to be interesting to see how favors can keep up with Jokic on, on really both ends. But I think the Jokic strength that the Nuggets are going to have over the Pelicans is going to have to be offset by somebody like holiday. And then I think if there is a matchup where drew can really kind of step up and show that he's an MVP caliber player. It's going toe-to-toe with Jokic in a box score, taking on a Jamal Murray and a Gary Harris, and kind of doing what he did to Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum in that playoff series and extrapolating that to these Denver games who could very well be a first-round opponent in the playoffs. I think seeing how the whole team reacts to a matchup like that could be really fun. All right, what about you, David? Uh, Grub. Um, I, you know, I like January 20th, uh, game against Memphis. I'd love to see Ja Morant. Um, again, just like, uh, Mike talked about Dallas as a rival. I think this is a great time for this division because you do have Dallas remaking itself. And I think Memphis is going to be an entertaining team as well. Um, as their young core starts to develop with, uh, Morant. And then of course with, uh, Jaron Jackson, the third, so I think that's a game that I like. Of course, we all like the Anthony Davis game. Um, and then, of course, Denver, uh, Christmas, you always want to see how you f- play against the very best teams. Um, and then the game also is, to me, is the Philly game. Uh, because I think mm-hmm. you, I, I'm really interested to go east That's and one see of mine. Mm-hmm. It, um, just how, how good they are on the road at Philly, um, to me, is, is a big test physically for Zion. You know what I mean? Uh, that front line, that team, I want to see him go up against them physically and, and try to dominate against Joel Embiid, the busy, biggest physical force in the league right now. All right, Fish, you go, then I'll quickly drop my two or three. All right. Um, I'll start it on Christmas um, night. I'm so excited that the Pelicans are a late game because my <laughs> kids will be in, asleep. They will be completely <laughs> and totally wiped out. 
I will have the entire evening just to dedicate to watching the Nuggets game. Um, I think that's a compelling matchup in terms of how the West is going to go towards the future. The next game that really excites me would be um, they play Houston at Houston in February, but it's an ABC game on a Sunday. And if I remember correctly, that Sunday is actually the gap between the NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl. If the Saints mm. have the season that we want to have um, on that end, um, that would be a good um, break away from people trying to convince me that anyone should ever watch the NFL Pro Bowl. Um, <laughs> plus, at that point, um, both teams should kind of have a, a really good idea of where they're at. And then the third game that really jumps out at me is – um, Friday, February 21st against Portland. It's right after the uh, NBA All-Star break. So they've almost had eight straight days off. It's going to be on ESPN, another night game where my kids are already going to be asleep. Um, on ESPN, Portland, it'll be a great matchup. It'll be the trade deadline probably falls like a, a week before the trade, the all-star break. But if the Pelicans mm -hmm. have made any kind of big trade, they finally had some time to get, maybe get some practices in or some walkthroughs in and really integrate those guys into their system. And it begins kind of the downslope to the rest of the season and to see if they're going to continue to try to make the playoffs or if they're going to consider packing it in. So those are my three. Well, uh, Grub took one of mine. Uh, it's at Philly. December 13th game. Uh, the other one is right before it. Milwaukee Bucks. Guys, I desperately want to see Zion go up against Giannis. I know Giannis, of course, is going to have the advantage. He's got the experience, length, uh, you name it. But I think it's going to be a heck of a test for Zion. Because uh, you've got to think, Giannis has got to be the favorite for MVP for the next at least five years, right? We saw what he did in most games last year. So Pelicans really the only way to stop him, I think, of course, is with Zion. You know, I just don't think Brandon Ingram can stay with him. Uh, so that, to me, is going to be a heck of a test. That game's going to be ESPN. And that really does kick off that stretch we talked about earlier. So that's my number one game. That Philly game grub already talked about is number two. And I guess since nobody else talked about it, I got to talk about the Lakers, you know, when Anthony Davis first comes back on November 27th. I mean, I think there's going to be so much excitement for that game here in New Orleans by their fan by our fans alone. Uh, that it's going to really lift up the players. I think Drew Hawley is going to feed off of that. And I think that he's, and, and of course, Zion, I think Zion's going to be one of those uh, self-starters for every game. So you don't have to worry about him, but it'll get those quieter guys like Derek Favors, JJ Reddick kind of more into the game. So I think, I can't wait to see it because you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to want to do their thing, prove to New Orleans that these two were always meant to be together there's going to be so many different storylines, so I just really can't wait for that one. Um, but other than that, yeah, good job picking some of these other games. There are a lot to choose from. There's no doubt. But here's a good question. I'm glad Fish mentioned the trade deadline. And I've been thinking about this. If the Pelicans get off to a you know a so-so start of around 500, or let's say they're a few games under it, one, should David Griffin make a trade? Or two, do you think that the Pelicans should stand pat still play the long game and really have it in mind of say a championship run in about three years or so. Depends on what you're making the trade for. Well, let's like, say what it's you... going to be a core piece. Cause I think that's what we've kind of heard that Griffin says he's gathered all the assets. So let's keep in mind, you know, maybe a Bradley Beal, maybe somebody a little bit higher, yeah. a little bit lower than that caliber. Do you approve of him doing a trade like that? Um, regardless of the Pelican schedule or not, David? I don't think he's pushed that way. I think he's, you know, this is, he will not be rushed. And if he feels he needs more time to evaluate a player and he'll make the decision at the end of the season, then that'll, that's the way it's going to be. So be it. I just, I just don't see him acting because he feels like, well, we have to act. If it's not part of the plan, he won't do it. Well, what about this scenario real quick, since you've, you've said that, and I agree with you, let's say Ingram isn't looking like the type of guy you want to resign for max dollars. Let's say Lonzo is having another one of those injured seasons. And when he's on the court, he really shouldn't be out there to begin with. So basically I'm saying they're a disappointment. So they've got drew Derek and a growing Zion, but they're not winning very many games. Does that push you to make a deal, David? Do I trade Lonzo ball as a depreciated asset in season? No, no, he's still under contract. <laughs> I've got him another year. 
I want to build his value back up. I can't give him away at his lowest price. I just got him. So if I'm trading him in less than a year because he's disappointing me right now, what am I going to get for him now? You know what I mean? I, I'm, I better be getting something. I'm, I'm going to have to give up more than just Lonzo if he's playing as poorly as – if he's injured and he's playing poorly, I've got to give up more than him to get something back. So what else am I having to lose? Is that worth it, knowing that I have him under contract? at a relatively, uh, you know, friendly price for another year. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting, and I, and I agree with Grubb. I don't think that Lonzo would, would be on the table at all. I, I would be legitimately shocked if at any point in the season, or really the next couple of seasons, if he wasn't on the team. I think they're probably very confident in his ability to kind of keep improving, and even if he doesn't improve, he's still quite a valuable player the team right now i think if a core piece were to be acquired i think ingram would have to be involved just because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year they could offer him that extension but i think some teams may still value him enough to kind of swap timelines a little bit and i do think the pelicans could get a player whose contract doesn't necessarily impede on the future of the team maybe two, three years left, but also doesn't hinder them in the present. Obviously, if you're making a trade like that, I think they would be looking to improve now. I don't think they would kind of punt on a season and trade Ingram high. I don't think that they would necessarily try to do that. But I do think that any trade would revolve around Ingram. And I don't think it's too crazy to say that that would happen. I think it's I would put it at pretty much 50-50 because I think no matter how the season's going, he could be on the table. Okay, so Fish, Fish? do you you have anything to add to that? Do you think Griffin, at all, the way the Pelican season's going, do you think that should dictate Griffin's moves at all before the deadline? Not really. The only thing that you would really say that's on the roster that you have to make a decision on. Like everybody's mentioned is Ingram, but you can, you can give him 20 or 30 more games. Uh, You do, you definitely risk him walking for nothing in that scenario. If somebody goes, you know, big on it and you say, I don't want to match that contract. And then the other two pieces that are really, you have to make a choice on would be Etwan Moore and Darius Miller just because they're expiring contracts and you're going into a summer where cap space isn't terribly valuable or it doesn't feel like it's going to be valuable because just of the quality of players that are going to be available and the fact that honestly the Pelicans what I have heard from David Griffin tells me that he has every intention of re-signing Derek Favors after this season. Now, that might just be my extreme Derek Favors fandom and the fact that I really like how he pairs with Zion. But at the same time, I really feel like everything that you've – when he talks about who are the veterans on this team, Drew, Derek Favors, and J.J. Redick. And we already know Redick's on, on, on the books for the next two years. So I think he wants to give those three guys two years to figure it out at least. So I expect favors to be re-signed. So those are the only guys, but I don't feel like that favor that um, David Griffin is going to feel any kind of pressure to make a move simply for the sake of making a move. I think that's the one thing that we can really um, – take some comfort in is the fact that he's not going to make a move just to make a move. He's going to make the move because he thinks it makes sense long-term first and then short-term. And even the moves that he's made this year and how it feels like he's built a team that's going to win now, it has never been at the expense of winning later. So, and and I think, and, and I think with favors, not, not to cut off the end of your point there is it's important for, people to recognize, or at least this is what I think is this isn't really much of a transitional period for the Pelicans. I think you're right. I think favors is also going to be a part of the future. The Pelicans kind of have the pieces that they want to move forward with. They're not kind of having these pieces that are just holdovers that they kind of acquired with the intention of passing off for different assets it really does feel like this is kind of what they were going for but they just got there a lot quicker than i think even they might have expected i think that's a great point yeah i mean 
Favors at his age, he's still only 27, about to turn 28. So you, you're still in his prime to keep him going along. Drew's, Drew's still got another couple of very, you know, solid years, hopefully, ahead of him. So, yeah, if you're in a two- to three-year window with those veterans, um, then, yeah, that's you're playing it right with those guys. You feel confident that those are players who won't miss games, who will perform to their, the level of their contracts. They're, they're, they're low-risk, high-reward players. It's really just incredible that Derek Favors isn't two years older than Buddy Heald. Like, <laughs> that's just wild. <laughs> I just I can't stop thinking about that since they signed Favors. I had no idea that he was only 28 years old. I don't know how that happened. I think ultimately to, to kind of wrap, put a bow on all this is, you know, every season we come into this and we look at the schedule and we break it down and we see what we want to see. Um, but ultimately the games get played. And it, it, the ball goes in ways that we couldn't have predicted. You know, the, the first time the Pelicans made the playoffs with Anthony Davis, you never would have believed that they would have been, they'd be in position in the last game of the season to make a playoff game, you know, series. Same two years ago when as bad as they were, then all of a sudden they get hot after DeMarcus goes down. It's just you don't know how it's going to play out. And I think the great thing about this team this season is, like you said, that balance of veterans and then the youthful exuberance of guys like Zion and Jackson Hayes and, Nikhil Alexander Walker make this a team that's going to be very interesting to watch. And as I said, at the end of my piece today for Crescent City Sports, the whole world would be watching too. Anybody else want to throw anything in? Yeah, I just want to say that, as I was telling you before we got started, Mike and uh, Fish joined us, was that I don't put too much credence, honestly, into the schedule. It's fun to look at, but you learn quickly there's so many other aspects that you really come up in a season, crop up for your own team, et cetera, et cetera, to where really I only look then at the start and the finish. You know, at the start, you can pretty much pencil it in. Everyone's going to be healthy through the first 10 or so odd games. And, of course, the finish when it's time to gear up as to where others are out of it. You can kind of expect on who's going to be basically taking a back seat and trying to play for those ping pong balls. So everything in the middle – Again, it, it, it's just one big toss-up that we don't know what's going to happen, right? So I think it's more important just to understand that, A, that this team is deeper than one I can ever recall seeing here in New Orleans, and I think that's going to be very beneficial. Two, you've got to factor in that this West is spread out. I know that the Pel- – would you say, David, earlier, how many of the toughest uh, schedules overall are in the West? Was yeah, it like seven, nine eight? of the top ten. Nine of wow. the top ten toughest schedules. The top five are all on the West, and the ten easiest are all in the East. Yeah, so, so I kind of see that as a playing – you know, the field's kind of level there, right? Every team has to go through each other here in the West. So it's going to be kind of last man standing. So, again, all, all, all this is to say that I, this is why I feel actually a little bit more hopeful about the Pelicans, especially after seeing the schedule. I think that, like I said, this depth, they're going to get off to a decent start. Um, got my dogs all over me. Sorry, guys. But um, they're excited. too. I, I think that this. What's that? They're excited, they're, too. They're ready. Yeah, I know. They're ready to go outside and use the bathroom. But when it comes down to time to win games, they're going to have that opportunity over the last two months. And that, therefore, they're just going to have to put themselves in possession. And I like their chances of being able to do that. So, I don't know. Let's move on. I, like I said, I got to let my two guys outside here in a second. Yeah. Anybody got any other final comments before we get out of here? No, I just want to say hi, guys. Uh, just dropping into a call. Just got off work. Uh, and uh, excited to hear you guys talk some Pelicans. Great job, y'all. Thanks, Matty. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, my, my biggest important point is I think this year we just need to shift uh, Thanksgiving a day a day earlier. Or just make it a two-day event. Yeah, make it a two-day event. Well, it is a two-day event because the Saints play the Falcons. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say move Thanksgiving for the Pelicans, but then I remember. So it's like I said, the the birds get to eat the day before Thanksgiving, and then the birds get eaten on Thanksgiving. That's how it's going to be in New Orleans. Wow. Wow. We'll have to ask the turkeys how they feel about that one. I don't know (laughs) if they're going to be in on that one. But anyway, um, we thank you all for listening. Of course, you know, check us out and rate us. Tell somebody else to check out the bird calls. Um, we, we do this all the time. So there are plenty of to go back in the archives and check us out. Um, we've recapped the entire summer of Pelicans moves. 
from a number of different voices, and we've had some great interviews as well. So please check us out again. For Ali Cassell, Mike DeLeo, Dave Fisher, Preston Ellis, I'm David Grubb. And until the next time, let's dance. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.